0: Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. I'm recording this on December 23rd. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas Day, and so I hope that whenever you hear this, that you are, as Mary did, preparing the good news in your heart and reflecting on this good news of God coming into our world, and also pray that you are having memorable times with family and friends and chosen family and everyone else. So I'll be preaching this sermon on our Christmas Eve Eve service at Urban Village, and um, as we reflect on this familiar story that continues to speak to us in inspirational and varied ways. So the text is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Hear these words. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So several years ago, my mom came to visit us when we were living in Evanston, which is a suburb just north of Chicago, home of Northwestern University. And when she came to visit us, we thought it'd be fun to take her to a Northwestern football game. That year they were doing quite well. And so I didn't plan ahead of time to get us tickets, but I knew there would be people who would be selling tickets the day of the game, so we could just buy tickets Uh, on our way there. So we left our apartment and walked toward the stadium and listening to the calls of people who were selling their tickets and trying to figure out what would be the best value for us. And so finally we found this one man and looked at the seats and looked like it was a pretty good price. So we bought the tickets, went into the stadium and found our seats in the end zone and sat down. It was a beautiful day and we're ready to watch the game. About five minutes later or so, another group of people came up who had tickets in their hands, and they looked at the aisle number and the seat number, and they looked where we were, and they looked down at their tickets, and they said, I think you're in our seats. And I pulled out my tickets and looked at ours and thought, well, no. And so we compared, and sure enough, both sets of tickets had exactly the same aisle, row, Seat number, and then I had this sinking feeling that we had been cheated, that the person who sold us the tickets on the street had sold us counterfeit tickets, and the usher was coming over. And I can't remember if I fessed up to that moment or what. I must have. And so we kind of, I slumped my shoulders, and we walked down. With I was feeling a little bit of shame that we had been busted. And so then at that moment, I was wondering, what are we going to do now? We were in the stadium, but we had no seat. And so we literally had no place to go. I was thinking about that story as I was reflecting on this passage, this passage, which has so many treasures for us, no matter how many times we hear it or read it. And I think when we do reflect on this passage from Luke, we normally, understandably, want to get to where the action is, the good parts we want to talk about or think about or reflect on the actual birth of Jesus, or maybe the angels, or maybe the shepherds, or maybe the shepherds going back to see the family, this new family. And so this is what grabs our attention. This is what many churches around the world use as the key and the plot for numerous Christmas pageants. I don't think there are many Christmas pageants that focus on the first four verses, the kind of descriptiveness of where all of this is taking place, but I think we need to pay attention to this. This is something that Luke uses more than once, and so we see an, an example in Luke 1.5, so before Luke tells the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he puts them in a particular place. So Luke 1.5 says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So here Luke sets up the scene, gives it place, geography, location. And Luke does the same thing in the scripture that we read today. Again, place, society are important. And note the way that Luke goes from kind of the panoramic view of the scene to close up. So it starts off talking about Caesar Augustus, and we're talking about the entire Roman world and then we focus in a bit on Quirinius governor of Syria and then we focus in a bit more on particular towns we talk about we hear about Nazareth and we hear about Bethlehem and then focus in a little bit more to an inn and finally we see they literally have no place isn't this interesting this build up from empire empire to country to cities to local business and then when we read about the messiah The Savior, good news of great joy, we read that this Messiah is literally born in no place. Certainly born within a society, empire, all these things, but when it gets down to the close up, the Messiah is born in no place. This will be a theme of sorts for this Messiah, for this Savior. Jesus tends to show up in the wrong places, or at times Jesus acknowledges indeed that he also, he has no place. So, a couple more examples from Luke. You may know the story that we will read later in chapter 2 in Luke about the tween Jesus going with his family to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and then when his family is ready to go back home again, they discover they can't find the tween Jesus, and they see and learn that he is behind. He stayed behind, saying that he must be in his father's house. His family, no doubt, thinking, you are in the wrong place. Later in Luke nine fifty-one through 56, we read that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a very intentional journey to a very intentional place. And yet, as he begins this journey, right out of the box, Jesus is rejected by a Samaritan village. There was no place for him there. And then after that, in verse 57, someone says they will follow Jesus wherever he goes. And he replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air has nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The Messiah still has no place. I think it's important to note these things because so many people in our city and in our country feel like they have no place. Maybe they resonate here with Jesus. Undocumented immigrants coming to this country, wondering, do I have a place here? People experiencing homelessness, literally asking, do I have a place? Post-election, a person of color might rightfully ask, do I have a place in white America? An LGBTQ person may see who has been elected and ask, do I have a place in this new world? Personally, you might be experiencing strife in your family, conflict, and you wonder to yourself, do I have a place here in this family? You might be feeling lost with no purpose, no sense of God, and so you ask yourself, do I have a place in this world? I'm sure we can think of many instances in our own life, other stories. I was reading a story this past week, written by Peter Marty, he's the publisher of a magazine called The Christian Century, and he's also the pastor of a large Lutheran church in Davenport, Iowa. Davenport's one of the quad cities along the Mississippi River, and that church has a large food pantry, and I'm reading from this story that he wrote. This church has a, a large food pantry, and one of the church's staff members recently noticed that there was a woman shopping there named Alicia. Alicia was carefully looking over the food shelves to select certain items, and the church staff member, name is Dana, Dana learned that Alicia had taken the bus from a hospital 20 minutes away. Alicia wasn't looking to bring back anything more than was convenient to carry. And so as Dana learned more about her story, it turns out that six days earlier, six days earlier, Alicia was driving to visit her sick brother in a town across the Mississippi River. She was driving on a suspended license because she couldn't afford insurance. And then a police officer pulled her over for a routine traffic stop, and he arrested her and impounded her van and took her to jail. It turns out Alicia was also very pregnant. She tried to convince her jailers that she was pregnant and was enduring labor pains, but no one believed her. A corrections officer finally put her in a squad car that headed for the hospital, and on the way, Alicia pulled down her orange jumpsuit to give birth to a baby boy in the back seat. In the United States, in the state of Iowa, in the town of Davenport, a child perhaps with no place was born in the back seat of a car. When Alicia showed up in the food pantry, her six-day-old preemie was back in the neonatal unit, and her husband had walked two and a half hours with her other three children to join her at the hospital. He was living temporarily in a room there, thanks to the kindness of a hospital administrator. When Alicia left the food pantry, she had two requests. She asked Dana if she'd drive her back to the hospital, and then if they'd stop at a payday loan office so she could cash a check and then she asked if they could stop at a family dollar store to purchase some undergarments. Peter Marty writes, Both were easy requests to honor, though the pain of observing the absurd fees of the check-cashing endeavor was difficult, and buying underwear at a dollar store is hard to do with dignity. Alicia was chattering in the car, and Dana listened to her story, and Alicia said to her she thought about putting up her newborn to adoption, and then changed her mind. She said, I just couldn't do it. Kids always want to locate their biological parents. What would I say to him if he came back to me someday and asked why I didn't love him as much as his sisters and brother? A child born to a mother in an orange jumpsuit, which she was wearing because she was in prison because of a suspended license, because she couldn't afford car insurance. Does this child have a place in our world? the child's mother was determined to say that despite all the barriers the world puts up in front of her, yes. One of the remarkable things about this story from Luke is that God continually shows up in the midst of no place. God doesn't just show up. God becomes flesh in the middle of no place. And not just to this couple of a newborn, the news is shared to a group of individuals whose place was simply in the fields. The good news of great joy was shared first with them. If you feel like you have no place, I hope that you can find some good news to this. in this. That God shows up in powerful, glorifying ways when there is no place and where there is no place. If you do feel like you have a place, maybe you feel like you have many places that you feel at home in family or in city or in country, at workplace. If you do feel like, yes, I have a place, your call may be to create a place to make sure that the placeless do have a place. When we were wandering around that stadium at the Northwestern game, wondering what to do, we finally decided, well, we've just got to go to the ticket office and confess and see what happens. I was certainly expecting them to say, you know, you're out of luck. But I went and told them our story, and they showed grace. And they found us tickets. They found us a place to sit and watch the game. They didn't have to do that. We had bought tickets on the street They were getting no money at all from what we had done, and yet they found a place for us unexpectedly. Surprisingly, they found a place for us. And this is kind of how God does things. In moments when we feel like a person or you have no place, grace and surprise show up, and it turns out that we do. I pray as we reflect on this Christmas story, I pray that God finds a place for you, And from that place, we help the Marys and the Alishas in the world, who bring new life in a manger and in the back of a car, so that they may know that there is a place for them too, and that God does God's best work when it seems like no one else is around, and that we have no place to get our bearings. This is the story of Christmas, I believe. God in the flesh coming to nowhere places when we least expect it. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. And I think I noted last week in last week's podcast that this will be the last podcast I do in 2016. And the new one I will be putting out will be that first uh, weekend of January, so sometime around January uh, 7th or so. My prayers will be with all of you listeners as we go into this holiday season, especially for those of you who feel placeless. Um, If you do feel that way, I feel like I have a place in this world, and so I'm doing all I can to make sure that others have a place. And so feel free to reach out to me, Chris at urbanvillechurch.org or on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always wanting to and desiring to listen and connect with you. And so I hope that you take me up on that. And as we look into 2017, I pray that God's strong presence, which came to us in a strong and powerful way 2,000 years ago, that you may feel that presence over the next couple of weeks and into the new year too. May God's presence and peace be with you.